Good morning. My name is Bill Morton. Uh, I'm going to be reading scripture. Would uh, you please stand? Our passage this morning is from Galatians 2:15 to 21. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because the works of the law will, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me once again? Father, we are grateful for your word. Uh, This morning we dive into deep waters, into things that are frankly beyond our ability to comprehend their wonderful and mysterious. Father, I pray that you would give us the humility to know that we can't fully understand everything. But it's more important to experience these truths than to understand them all. Father, I pray that you would use my words to help us experience the gospel, help us experience what it means to be united with Jesus Christ this morning. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So, I almost spilled my water. Um, I've been in ministry for a long time now, uh, 25 years, and I came in kicking and screaming. I wanted to do anything but be a pastor. I wanted to be a lawyer or a Marine or a lawyer in the Marines. Didn't matter, just not a pastor. But now, 25 years in, I love it. I love what I do. Now, don't get me wrong. There are days where I don't want to come to work, and y'all can be kind of annoying at times. But by and large, I love it. Sometimes I wonder, do I love it too much? Has my identity become too wrapped up in being a pastor? I mean, who am I if I'm not Pastor Dan? That's not just a struggle I have. I think it's a common difficulty. It's easy for us to get wrapped up, for identities to get wrapped up in something that is temporary or transient. So maybe you were the star athlete. You were the one known for, for getting it done between the lines on the field. And then your career ends and you think, well, who am I now? 
Maybe you were the, the big fish in your little high school, but now you realize you're just a little minnow in the ocean of IU. You're like, who am I? And maybe your identity was so staked to your marriage. You were the faithful wife, but then your husband left. And you wonder, who, who am I now? Or maybe your identity was so wrapped up in your kids, being a good dad, a good mom, but now you're an empty nester and you're struggling with, who am I without my kids to help define me? Maybe it's your career or something else. We are all tempted at times for, to wrap our identity around something, but that ends up not being very stable. When we tie our identity to circumstances, we're always in an unstable situation because circumstances change. It might, be, it might sound exciting at first. You know, I go off to college and I can redefine myself and discover myself. But it ends up being exhausting and anxiety-riddled experience. It is better to ground our, ourself, our understanding of who we are in something that doesn't change ever. Specifically, Christ. Uh, the whole thrust of my sermon this morning could be summed up in this. Christ is the center and the circumference of the Christian's identity. Uh, when we come to Christ, our identity is, is deconstructed. Key aspects of who we are are stripped away. Paul says it this way, the old self is killed. Remember that quote that uh, Bob read last week from C.S. Lewis? I'm going to mangle it because I'm not reading it. Uh, I don't want just part of you. I don't want just part of your time. I want all of you. And I'm not here just to manage you, but to kill your old self. The old self is destroyed and deconstructed and crucified and reconstructed in Christ. So that our identity centers on Jesus, who isn't just out there, but in us. This morning, I want to explore this text a little bit with you. Galatians 2, the passage that was read. Focus the theology a little bit, and then consider the implications for what Paul is saying. In Galatians chapter 2, and actually throughout the book of Galatians, Paul's confronting the Galatians for having gone after a, a different gospel that is kind of a, a hybrid of faith in Christ plus a little bit of my own good works. He's saying that's no good news at all. You're wandering away from the true gospel. And in chapter 2, he's recording some narrative of when he went to Jerusalem and he was extended the right hand of fellowship by the apostles. They greeted him. They put their stamp of approval on his message that he was proclaiming to the Gentiles. And they sent him out to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And all was good and well until Paul came to Antioch. And there he came to Peter, who had given him his stamp of approval and greeted him. But now Peter was acting in a very hypocritical way and keeping distance from Gentile Christians. 
and Paul confronts Peter to his face and says, you're acting like a hypocrite. The gospel has tore down this division between Jew and Gentile, and we are one together in the body. And the passage that was read is Paul reflecting on that experience and on the gospel and its implications. And Paul begins by reiterating his gospel. The gospel that he has been preaching to churches, uh, to, to people who don't know Christ, and that the Galatian church had accepted. The gospel, in Paul's words, is salvation comes to you by grace, through faith, and it is not of your own works. Paul proclaimed a gospel of free grace and salvation by faith. He says that's not by any works that we can do. He points people consistently away from their own works and to the all-sufficient work of Jesus Christ. Now, this was incredibly difficult for Jews and Jewish Christians to get their minds around. Jew and Gentile, Paul says, are in the same boat. But in the Jewish mind, the Gentiles were sinners because they didn't have the law and so they didn't follow the law. But in the Jewish mind, the Jews were righteous because they had been given God's law and had that privilege and because they kept and observed God's law. But now Paul and Peter are saying that we're all sinners and the law cannot save The gospel that Paul is proclaiming strips the Jew of one of the the core elements of their identity. Righteousness by keeping law. Moses was at the core of the Jewish identity. And Paul and Peter, as they proclaim the gospel, proclaim that the law is not good enough and strip that confidence away. It's difficult for the Jews to accept that they are on the same level as the Gentile sinners. But Paul is saying that all labor under the same disease, sinfulness, and an inability to meet the law's requirements. But the same remedy is available to Jew and to Gentile alike. The remedy is an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes from outside of ourselves and is given freely to us. It's the righteousness of Christ given to those who have faith. So Paul's gospel that he has proclaimed has brought him into conflict with certain elements in the church. The group of Jews known as the Judaizers who wanted to Push a little bit of Moses into the gospel as well. And the critics' response to Paul's gospel was, you're making Jesus an accomplice to sin. You're undercutting necessary motivation for being good. You're saying Jesus gives salvation without any regard for our law-keeping. So you're making Jesus an accomplice to our sin. Well, Paul's answer, certainly not. Or other translations, may it never be. That's unthinkable. 
How absurd, I think the message has it. I think if Paul was alive and writing today, he might be tempted to quote the cinematic masterpiece, Billy Madison. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response have you come even close to anything that can be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. (laughs) I really debated whether or not I could quote Billy Madison in a sermon, but y'all were starting to look a little bored, so I went for it. (laughs) Paul's answer is absolutely not. It's ridiculous. And then he goes on not just to state you're wrong, but to explain why. Paul's logic in the next few verses. If you are justified, you are justified in Christ. That short prepositional phrase is the key to, I think, unlocking Paul's theology, unlocking the New Testament in Christ. Paul uses that phrase or a similar phrase in him 120 times in his letters. It is that important that we understand that we aren't just mentally assenting to this person out there, but our faith receives Jesus and we become engrafted into him. We are in him and he is in us. If we're not united to Christ in that way, we have no benefits from Christ. This is how John Calvin said it. As long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and all that he has done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. If you are justified, if you are declared righteous and holy and in right standing before God, it is because you are in Christ. And the second step in his logic, if you are in Christ, you have been crucified with Christ. Paul says, through the law, I died to the law. The law declared its judgment and its sentence guilty and deserving of death. And Christ carried that judgment and that sentence in himself when he went to the cross. And I have been crucified with Christ. So I died to the law also. The law has no more judgment to hold against me. I've died to it. So if you're justified, it's in Christ. If you're in Christ, you've been crucified with Christ. And the third part, if you are in Christ, you no longer live, but Christ in you. If you live, it's because you have been raised in newness of life, raised in Christ. So it is his power at work in you. It is his mind being developed 
in you, his righteousness in you, his life being lived out through you. That's what it means to be in union with Christ, to be in him and him in you. Therefore, Paul says, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, not my own works. I live by faith in the Son of God. Laying hold of Christ in faith absolutely and totally precludes trusting in your own works at the same time. My sister, Becky, was not a nice little girl. She was cruel and mean, and one of the ways she tortured her older brothers was making them watch Annie every day the summer of 1984. I mean every day. I know that movie. At one part part in the movie, Daddy Warbucks is ready to adopt little orphan Annie. And he buys her a new locket to replace the old broken locket that she has. But she's not ready to give up the old broken locket or, or the hope that her parents will come back, so she's not ready to be adopted yet. She can't have both. She has to relinquish that hope of her parents showing back up. In the same way, we have to relinquish any hope that we would be able to justify ourselves by our own good works, let go of that hope, and cling to Christ and the finished work of Jesus to have any hope of salvation. So, that's the passage. The theological focus is this beautiful doctrine, this mysterious doctrine, maybe my favorite doctrine I have ever studied in depth called union with Christ, and it's that we have by faith been united to him. This is truth, is the hub of all the gospel benefits. We have been united with Jesus. He doesn't remain outside of us. He comes into us. We are in him, and he is in us. How? It is beautiful and mysterious. This is what I was praying. Can I explain it perfectly? No. Will you understand it perfectly? No. It is far, far more important that we experience it than we can explain it. But the truth is, we have been united with Christ in his death, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live in his life. I've been raised with Christ to newness of life. And in his living, it's not I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. The Heidelberg Catechism is a wonderful tool that through the years I've used off and on with my own kids and helping them understand the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Question 20 asks, are all men saved by Christ? And the answer is no. Only such as have true faith and are engrafted into him. 
That's how we receive all of the benefits of Christ. Spiritual life flows out of union with Christ, not simply out of imitating Christ. United to him so that his life flows in and through us. His righteousness becomes ours because he is in us. Now this isn't some idea of like absorption into the cosmic Christness of the universe or some weird thing like that. I'm still I. Paul says Christ lives in me. There's still a me there. There's still a Paul. There's still a Dan. But Christ lives in me. And he becomes the center and the circumference of my identity. This isn't a a mysterious, beautiful thing that has no implications. It has massive implications for how we view the Christian life, for how we understand ourself and our identity. It's not purely abstract, but practical as well. It, It affects how you understand your suffering, for example. When Saul was confronted on the road to Damascus, Jesus asked him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who was Paul actually persecuting? The the church, right? But Jesus so identifies with us because of his union with us that when we suffer, it, it is a participation in his suffering. It also impacts how we view others, especially other Christians. So Jesus would say to his disciples, if you've done it unto the least of them, you've done it unto me. He is so united with his people that giving one of his children a glass of water or clothes to clothe themselves, it's doing it for Christ. That's how profound the union with Christ is. We could go on and on about implications. I want to focus on a couple that specifically related to our identity. First, understanding our union with Christ and who we are in him gives us freedom for righteousness. This was central to Paul's argument in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Christians aren't freed to sin. They're freed from the mastery of sin and from the mastery of the law. They're freed to live righteous lives. They're declared righteous by God because of Christ's righteousness that has been given to them. And they live righteously Because Christ is living in them and his righteousness is flowing through them. Christian, righteousness is now more natural to who you are as a new creation in Christ than sin. Can I say that again? That needs to sink into us, I think. You, as a new creation in Christ. Righteousness is more your native language now than is sin. 
That's why Paul will say in Colossians chapter 3, seek the things above where Christ is. Seek the things above. Christ who is your life is there. Put to death these things that are of the flesh. Put on righteousness. That is your native garb now. It's natural to you now as a new creation in Christ because righteousness himself has taken up residence in you. Yes, we might fall into sin occasionally. Sin happens. But it's not natural to the Christ in you self that you have become as a new creation. I might run a 5K in December, but I'm not a runner. You you might fall into sin, but it is not now your native disposition. You are a saint in Christ, a righteous, holy child of God. The second implication that it has for our identity is it gives us freedom to rest. Have you ever gone into a restaurant that has a ginormous menu? I mean, one of these, like, 20 pages, and it's all text, and you don't even know where to start, and you're like, I'm overwhelmed by the possibilities, and I know I'm going to choose wrong, and maybe it's just me. I like food, and I don't want to choose wrong. Maybe you felt that when you came to IU and you looked at all the possible majors and you think, how can I possibly choose? There's so many options. I've heard people who are involved in online dating face that problem. There's always just one more swipe maybe and I'll find the right one. When there are so many options, it produces a tremendous amount of anxiety, and fear of missing out. Studies have shown that in our world, with endless possibilities, we have seen an increase in stress, anxiety, depression tied to all of it. Because it's not just food choices or majors or significant others. It's our identity. Be you. Well, who am I? Pick. Pick. The horizon is just filled with opportunities. Unmoored for any objective reality. Just the big menu. Choose. Author and intellectual Ralph Ellison said, When I discover who I am, then I'll be free. Well, Christian, we've discovered who we are. It's not defined by our successes or our failures. It's defined by Christ. And we can rest in that. It is exhausting to constantly be searching for yourself and defining and reinventing self. But in Christ, you can rest. Your identity is found in him. And the last point, because of our union with Christ, 
there is a freedom, freedom from fear. The world, especially if you watch the six o'clock news, is a scary place. Conflict and war. There are all kinds of things that threaten my faith, try to entice me away from my love for Christ, my first love. And a verse that has become ever more precious to me is First John. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Christ is in me. I am not strong because of self. But because of my union with Christ, Christ in me, I have freedom from fear. There's a tremendous reassurance and comfort that I am not my own. Again, Heidelberg Catechism, question number one. I want this framed for my office. Christian, what is your comfort in life and death? And the answer, that I am not my own. That I have been bought or belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Understanding who you are in Christ is a wonderful, peace-giving, reassuring truth. Horatio Bonner, the hymn writer, sums it up, I think, just wonderfully well. He said, Upon a life I did not live, Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. Remember growing up, those uh, choose your adventure books? I used to do those, and then, you know, a lot of video games have that kind of same format. Choose your character, choose your mission. Choose your attributes. Are you going to be strong with weapons or strong with magic or recover? Whatever. Fun. But that's not how we're called to live our life. God has given us our identity. You're created in the image of God. He's given us our mission. It's his mission that we get to participate in. And he's given us our identity. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. That is the center and the circumference of who you are. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to rest in you, uh, the peace of knowing that we are purchased and owned by our faithful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He defines who we are. Father, we thank you for the life that is being lived in and through us. We pray that the fruit of that, that of Christ's life in us would be evident to the world. Thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.